Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So hey, my name is Jessica Stafford. I serve on the discipleship team here at Commune of Hope, and one of the great privileges I get as part of that is working with the teaching team each week, and I love the chance when I get to be here with you in this capacity as well. So welcome to Commune of Hope this morning. Welcome to those of you who are streaming online or podcasting or listening to this later. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We've been in this series about flourish, as Trevor was mentioning, and it's just an exciting time to be, to be here to be talking about the future of our church. And so over the past several weeks, Dale has begun telling us a story. And in the first week, he talked about how we need to first always look at our past before we can look at our future. And we talked about how the church is really God's chosen vehicle for getting his work done in the world. And then we talked about vision and how for all of us, we will all end up somewhere in life. And Dale said the wise amongst us end up somewhere on purpose, right? And that's true of people as well as of churches. And so we talked about how our vision is to be growing this church for unchurched people, to reach disinterested people, and then to grow together into fully devoted followers of him. And then last week, we spoke about how accomplishing that vision takes all of us, and it even takes our money and our resources and our time and talents and what that looks like. And so this week, I want to continue that story, and I want to actually begin by talking about the idea of story. Who here is a reader? Yes, I am an avid reader, always have been. I remember in third grade, I remember getting in trouble in school because I had, you know, the desks with the little cubby underneath. I would perch my book right there underneath as if the teacher couldn't see me and just read while she was talking. And then I used to, when I was a kid, I would um, stash books places around my house. Like I'd put them in the bathroom cabinet so that when my mom told me to go take a shower, I could turn the water on and then just sit on the floor and just read until she found out what was going on. So I've always loved reading books. I think part of it is because my mom and dad read to my brother and I every night, and it's something that Zach and I try to do with our girls too. So I brought some of our favorite children's books up here to see what you recognize. Good night, moon, right? In the great green room. It's a good one. What about this one? Brown bear, brown bear. This, I think I could recite to you right now. I think we read it every day for three years of Charlie's life, multiple times. Oh, giving tree. Okay, this one gets sadder and sadder every time you read it. And maybe the older I get, I can't get through it without crying. And what about Lion Witch in the Wardrobe? Yes. Oh my gosh. We just, we love stories. And even if you're not someone who is a reader or who loves books, how about movie buffs? Right? Anyone? Okay. Yes, movies are stories. We as human beings love story. And I think it's because they help us to really understand our lives. I was reading a little bit about this, and I found a professor from the University of Arizona who explained it perfectly. She says this. She says, stories are woven so tightly into the fabric of our everyday lives that it's easy to overlook their significance in framing how we think about ourselves and the world. 
They fill every part of our daily lives as we talk about events and people, read books and news reports, gossip, send text messages, listen to music, watch video clips, and catch up on a favorite television show. We live storied lives. I love that. Stories are much more than a book or narrative. They are the way our minds make sense of our lives and world. So this is just so true. And, And even if we don't know that explicitly, it's something that is just in the fabric of our lives. And there's actually this social media trend right now that I've just been learning about that I think speaks to how pervasive this is across our culture. It's called main character energy. Has anyone heard of this? Okay, I'm about to teach you something. One of my friends from um, Community of Hope, she's in college, she was telling me about this. Main character energy is this social media movement. It has, that hashtag has over 1 billion views on TikTok, has over 170 million videos posted. And basically it's a movement toward, mainly in Gen Z, but kind of throughout all of our culture, to view yourself as the main character of your life. And so this hashtag is full of videos that range from the the dramatic, like, quit my job, sold all my stuff, broke up with my boyfriend, and moved to Italy, main character energy, to the more mundane, like videos of people holding a coffee and walking down the street with a jaunty movie music behind them, or it's someone videoing themselves working on their laptop. But the whole idea of it is whatever they're doing, they're imagining that this is a scene from a movie of their life focused on them. And it's really, I went down a rabbit hole, you guys. There's a, there's a lot of it. And it's really what the experts kind of say, the ones teaching you how to have main character energy. They say the truth is, you're your own best audience. So try to be the best main character for that audience. And I just, I was thinking about this because some of it is harmless and silly, right? It's just social media, Jessica, don't be overdramatic. But if we truly think about the implications of that message, I wrote down a few things of what this is really teaching us. You are who matters. Your life revolves around what you do, what you want. You are the driving force of your life. You are the only one you can depend on. You write your story any way that you want to. And I think this is the message of culture that we're, we're all getting right now, but I think Gen Z especially is being inundated by. And I think that we are actually being invited to a much bigger a much more exciting story than the one that we would write ourselves. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, and we're going to pick up that story in the book of Acts. So if you're able, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word? And we're going to read Acts 1, 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we open our minds, our hearts, and our ears to you now. We want to hear from your story, and we want to see where our lives fit in with what you are doing. God, speak to us each today. We love you. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the book of Acts, this is really the sequel to the book of Luke, to the gospel of Luke. It's the same author. Um, He's a Gentile, a non-Jewish physician, and he is really just chronicling the history of what is happening. The book of Acts begins, as we just read, with the ascension of Jesus into heaven, and then the rest of the book basically tells the story of the birth of the early church. I want us to look at Acts 1-8 again. This um, sentence here, most scholars consider to be really the summary statement almost of the book of Acts or the outline for what will happen throughout the rest of the book. So you see, this is what we just read. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I want to show you for a minute what that looks like geographically. So this is Israel, and you'll see Jerusalem here. This is where the disciples are when they're receiving this instruction. And then Jesus is telling them, you'll be my witnesses here, and then you'll be my witnesses in the larger area of Judea, and then you'll be my witnesses further away in Samaria, which is also a place that the Jews did not get along with the Samaritans, did not um, had a long cultural history, so they wouldn't have wanted to go here, right? And then he said, you'll go to the ends of the earth. And so we see that Jesus is kind of expanding the circles of where they will take the gospel. And what's interesting about the book of Acts, when we think about, when we think about the book, many people think that Paul, the apostle, is kind of the main character because the book focuses on his missionary journeys quite a bit. But actually, when you read the book in its entirety, you realize that the main gospel, the main character is actually the gospel. And how the gospel, the good news, is spreading throughout the earth. In fact, I want to show you how many times in the book of Acts it is referenced that the gospel was growing or strengthening. We'll start with Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Then we have Acts 9-31. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Acts 12.24, this is our flourish verse. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And Acts 19.20, in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 
So all throughout the book of Acts, we see the gospel growing, spreading, strengthening the church, growing in numbers. And over the course of that book, which is about 30 years, I want to show you another map. We see how the gospel, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, expands to the ends of the earth, beginning, well, in that time period, to Rome, which was the center of civilization. This is where the book of Acts ends with the Apostle Paul in Rome. And so it has spread in 30 years with this little group of ragtag disciples across um, really the centers of civilization at that time. But I want to take our story a little further today. Okay, so the gospel, it's in Rome. How do we get from Rome, and this time, to us? We're going to have a little church history 101, okay? Everyone ready for that? All right. Well, ready or not, here we go. <laughs> All right, so the, the gospel is in Rome. Rome was the epicenter of Christianity for a long time. And then we're going to jump kind of to the 1500s. So in 1517 in Wittenberg, Germany, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on a door and sparking the Protestant Reformation. Then from here, in the later 1500s, we see the English Reformation occurring in England. It was here that a man named Tyndale, he translated the Bible into English for the very first time, putting scripture in the hands of the common people, which is a huge, huge win for the church. Staying in England, this is where John Wesley, who's very important to our stream of church, in 1738, he actually read Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, felt his heart, his journal say, strangely warmed and was empowered by the Holy Spirit to start what we now know as the Methodist movement. Now, from England, John Wesley sent Francis Asbury in 1771 to the new American colonies. So we land on American soil, and Francis Asbury was in charge of overseeing the Methodist societies there. He was also a circuit rider, which was uh, basically a pastor on horseback. And Francis Asbury and over 4,000 other circuit riders took the gospel all over the continent, spread the Methodist church all over this continent, and by 1884, there was a Methodist church in America of over 1 million people. So from there, in 1885, the very first Methodist missionary from the U.S. went to South Korea. And in South Korea, the church grew and spread. A certain place that we've spoken about in this series called Prayer Mountain was established. And over a hundred years later, a certain surfer dude pastor that we know went to South Korea, received a vision for a church that would be a community of hope in West Palm Beach and brought that vision to us in West Palm Beach. And so this is the connection of our story of community of hope to the greater story. And so today I even want to add my own story on to the end of this. As a kid, I, we had a church that we attended somewhat sporadically. Um, you know, went to some VBSs, did some children's choirs. But in middle school, I got in my head the summer after eighth grade that I needed to go on the mission trip. I needed to go on the summer mission trip. And so I went. And, you know, we did the typical things that you would entrust to junior high kids, like reshingling roofs, painting two-story homes, you know, anything that you would normally give to a middle schooler. Like, I don't know what they were thinking, but... Um, 
And during that mission trip in the evenings, we had some, you know, devotional times. And there was a youth one of those evenings who shared her testimony. And then I remember she pushed play on a CD boombox to play a song. I'll tell you guys what that is afterwards if you don't know. Um, and we had a prayer time. It was nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, but it was there in that prayer time that I met Jesus personally for the first time. And I just felt this overwhelming sense that I would never be alone throughout the rest of my life. And that is the night that I gave my life to God, gave my life to Jesus and haven't looked back. But from that point on the mission trip, years later, I met my husband, Zach, then boyfriend. He invited me to his church, which I was like, well, we have to go to your church. Plus it met in a high school. So that was Community of Hope, and I was invited to a college Bible study in the pastor's um, living room, and that was where my story intersected with Community of Hope. Um, I was the children's ministry intern during college the next summer with Beth, and then we got married. We moved away to Tallahassee, to Colorado, and we plugged into churches but just never quite felt like we found our church home. And so after our daughter was born in Colorado, um, we decided we wanted to move back home, partially because most of our family was here, and a huge part of it was because we still felt called to community of hope, to this church home. And this church is where I received my call to ministry and where God has used me in more ways, poof, didn't know that was going to happen, in more ways than I ever would have imagined myself. And so you... (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So you have a story like this, too. You have the story of how the gospel first spread to you, and then you have a story of how you connected to Community of Hope and what the significance of this church means to you. But it's not just about our individual stories. It's about the larger story that they're a part of. And I love Eugene Peterson, who he translated the Message Bible. I love what he says about this. He says, when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. And so I think that leads us to a question today. The first question is, whose story will we choose to live? Whose story will we choose to live? Will we channel our main character energy, write our own story, go after what we want, think about what we deserve? Or will we choose God as the main character and see ourselves within his narrative? You know, when I think about how how powerful he is, how good he is, how loving and kind and just and how he oversees everything that is happening on this earth. I just, I don't think God can be anything other than main character. And just as I was preparing this message, I I think that maybe someone here needs to hear this today, that maybe a faith you feel like hasn't been working for you or Jesus hasn't been doing what what you're asking him to do, Perhaps it's because you've relegated God to a supporting role. Seeing yourself still as the main character. I've done that, right? Here's my plans, Lord. Please bless them. But that's not how he works. And so I think this leads us even to a second question. 
if we are choosing God's story, then what is our role in God's story? What is our role? I think our scripture today speaks specifically to this in Acts 1.8. Let's read this aloud together again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So our role in God's story, I think it's right here. Witnesses. Doesn't sound like a main character. (laughs) Right? We are called to pass on what we've received, to be a part of someone else's story, to simply tell what God has done for us. And when I think back on my story that, that I just told you, I think about all the people who, who witnessed to me and contributed to my faith, who contributed by their words or by their actions, or even from afar. There are people in this room who drove the bus to that mission trip, who chaperoned youth events, who led worship for us. There are people in this room who hosted those uh, youth Christmas parties at their home. And that is a part of my story. But I also think that there are so many people that I have no idea that contributed to my story. You know, who are the folks who, who, um, who sponsored that mission trip that made it affordable enough for us to go on? Who are the folks that gave to the college ministry I was a part of that kept me on track there? Who are the folks that sacrificed in 2008 for all of us to be sitting in this building? And so that leads me to the understanding that when we are faithful witnesses— And when we put our story in the context of God's, our lives can be more eternally significant than we could think, right? Our lives correctly situated within the narrative of God's story become eternally significant. God will use us in that long chain from Jerusalem to now in a way that we don't even have any idea of what he would do. Next, I want us to look back at our verse and think about all the places that God wants to use us. First, Jerusalem. When I think about Jerusalem, that's where the apostles were. And so for us, I think about mainly that's our homes, our closest relationships. And parents, I want to speak specifically to you for a moment. Your kids, you have the privilege and responsibility to be witnesses to your children. And I think this is perhaps one of the most important things God calls us parents to. You know, every year we see this research about kids who graduate their faith. In other words, they've been part of the church and then they graduate high school and they don't come back. And so then there's other people who do research to figure out, well, what are the kids who have the sticky faith? The ones who are saying, what did they have that the others didn't? And year after year, since 1970, the answer has remained the same. And it's parents. It's parents who live their faith. And it doesn't mean you do everything right or have all the answers or don't have any doubts. But basically it means that the way you navigate your faith and integrate it into your everyday life is probably going to be mirrored by your kids later. So Jerusalem is a very important spot, but that's not it, right? God also wants to use us in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I think about in Judea, our surrounding areas like our workplaces, our sports team, our schools, and Samaria, to those places we probably don't really want to go. God wants you to go there too. And I think sometimes this part can feel overwhelming to an individual, right? How am I supposed to witness in all of these spaces? 
But the good news is that when Jesus was originally speaking to the disciples, he wasn't just speaking to Peter, to John. He was speaking to them as a group. And so this is for us as a church as well. This past Thursday, you guys, well, and Saturday, yesterday at the West Palm campus, we had our Thanksgiving food drive. And I want to tell you how many people we served total because of our efforts together. Across both campuses, we served 506 families, 2,084 individuals. That deserves, yep. That is not something that any one of us could have done alone. And so this is the power of the church being part of God's story is the ways that he will use us as a community. So to kind of bring all this back to flourish, to me, flourish is the opportunity for me to step in and to say, I want to live in God's story. And it's not just about me, it's about my family too. So my husband who plays guitar, my oldest daughter who serves in toddler room faithfully every week will not miss it, will not. My youngest who cannot wait to be baptized, yes, I said baptized, do not, no one correct her, okay? (laughs) I'm hanging on to it. But flourish is the chance for all of us to step in and say, I want to be part of this story. The story that God is telling through community of hope, and I think beyond community of hope. We get a chance to step in with our whole selves, with our commitment, with our our time, our talents, and with our money and our resources and say, I choose this story. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. Let's pray together. Father God, it is an overwhelming privilege that you would choose to use us in your work in this world. It is something that blows my mind when I really think about it, that you would use broken people like us to do your work. So thank you, Lord. We today want to just say that we choose you. We choose what you are doing. Your story is greater than any story we could write for ourselves. God, in this moment, in this moment, we surrender to you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, use us to be your witnesses. It's in your precious son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I just want to remind you, if you came in here holding heavy things... I know we all carry come this way before you go out we have prayer teams up at the altar that would love to pray with you and right now I just want to read to you our again our flourish theme verse which says the word of God continued to spread and flourish this is what I want to pray for you today may God empower you through the Holy Spirit, to go into your lives this week to be his witnesses, that you would be a part of the word of God spreading and flourishing. Have a great week, y'all. We'll see you next week.